This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Sentiment among U.S. small businesses edged down last month amid continuing supply chain and hiring challenges. We're joined by Bob Bruska, chief economist at Fact and Opinion Economics based in New York. Uh, Bob, uh, let's talk about the supply chain issue. I mean, we, we keep hearing about that, and yet these small businesses are now saying the problems are real. They don't look like they're going away anytime soon, and they're, they're kind of concerned about it yeah and of course if you're a small business you have many fewer options you may have seen some of the stories about some of the very large chains like walmart that have actually chartered their own ships to bring goods in um and the thing is that they do this they can charter a large ship but not a container ship and so they get a ship that can land at a port that isn't clogged. The things going on the container ships are only so many ports that can handle those. So if you're a small business person, you're just stuck waiting for that ship to hit the harbor and to unload the big box that's on it and send stuff to you. So yeah, these guys are, uh, are rarely stuck with the short end of the stick. And, I mean, you're talking about people on the other end who want to sell items to customers, and yet they literally can't. They place orders, and those orders can't be filled because the, the, the merchandise isn't there. Well, yes. You know, the supply chain is a, is, is, a, is a fully formed thing, right? It will include the production that might occur overseas, and then the, the transportation on land, and then on ship or by air or whatever to a port in the U.S., and then another leg of transportation uh in, in, into the actual merchant <clears throat> and so there are any number of places that supply chain problems can can occur with transportation with production and actually now there are some firms that are starting to worry there's some producers actually starting to worry that firms have <clears throat> been had such a difficulty in, in getting what they want that they placed too many orders and that after the christmas season it's going to be a glut of merchandise when it comes to inflation, we've talked about that a bunch. Obviously, it's been a problem for a while now, and, and it's going to continue for a while. Is the supply chain challenge adding to the inflation? I mean, I'm just thinking if if you have uh, retailers that don't have the items on the shelves, then they would charge more for the items that are on the shelves. Is, is that part of what's going on? Yeah, the supply chain definitely is adding to inflation in various ways. And, you know, if you look at this NFIB report that you talked about, you know, what you see is that... Um, no, the responses to um, raising prices, planning to raise prices, raising worker compensation, these responses in this survey are all, for those three categories, the highest we have ever seen. And yet, at the same time, firms have to answer a question about do they plan to raise worker compensation? And that has been lower only 2% of the time. So what firms are doing is they're 
actually they're paying workers more. They don't want to pay workers more. They're not planning to pay workers more, but they're paying them more month after month and yet continue to say they're not planning to pay them more. So we have this terrible situation where there's this great disequilibrium and, and businesses think they're paying people too much and that people aren't qualified, yet they keep paying them more and they don't want to pay them more. And so it's a terrible treadmill. Um, and through it all, you've still got these lags and trying to get products into the store. And so, uh, no, it's just a tremendous mess in business right now. Thanks so much. Good insight from Bob Brusca. He's chief economist at Fact and Opinion Economics. Consumers want speed and seamless ordering on digital platforms. That means more restaurants are opening ghost kitchens. Let's find out what those are. Izzy Karish is here, president of Hospitality Works, also known as the restaurant coach here in Chicago. Izzy, uh, I guess we need to understand right away, what is a ghost kitchen? <clears throat> well, the ghost kitchen is just, you know, a single building where one restaurant, as the Inspire Corporation has done, can house four or five concepts in that one building. No customer will ever walk in. No customer will ever see the uh, building from the inside. You order online. You order for delivery. And from that one single kitchen, they can send out food from maybe four or five or six different restaurants, uh, which... Uh, will certainly help them in the world today in terms of labor costs because it'll take a lot less labor to run that one building for four restaurants than four physical restaurants that are out there today. So is this just just sort of the prep work before the food gets to the restaurants? They're, they're not doing, you know, fully formed meals here, right? Or are they? Well, some some smaller groups are doing fully formed meals inside that building. And again, uh, one person who has a great idea for two concepts could use that building, do all the prep work, and do everything in there, get everything ready, and even send the food out, and have a website that says, enjoy any one of our restaurants. And you as the consumer think, oh, I'm going to order from this restaurant and that one, get the food at the same time, not really realizing that it's all coming out of the same space. And you have, as you mentioned, Inspire doing this. They have, uh, you know, Arby's, Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, Jimmy John's, et cetera, you know, several brands. But there's really nothing keeping a lot of places from using these kitchens, right? Sort of open to anyone who wants to rent it out? Well, yeah, you're going to see some, uh, you know, people who have a new idea, and that's the way they're going to get started because it's a lot less expensive to do a ghost kitchen than build a full building. And uh, Inspire is just the tip of the iceberg for the big companies because COVID has moved ghost kitchens 10 years into the future. This was something people were dabbling in uh, two or three years ago, not doing it in a major way. But when you see something like Inspire or you'll see McDonald's or any of these large corporations, they're sending the same, send, same message. Uh, we don't need to do freestanding buildings. We can't find employees. And we're going to produce the same great product that we always do and we'll get it delivered to you, uh, you know, in some manner. But they'll do it uh, with a much lower overhead. Yeah, because the customer may think that that sandwich is coming from Jimmy John's, but when all is said and done, they don't really care where the sandwich comes from, just as long as it tastes good. That's exactly right. And to your point, Cisco, the, uh, some of these bigger companies will send in all of their food fully prepped and ready to go. So uh, everything will come in, be unpacked, portioned, and they'll be finishing the product. You know, Inspire's not going to be prepping the product right on site. So as far as the consumer goes, is there any kind of a benefit to the consumer? Obviously, the company saves money, and, and in a time where they're struggling to get workers, th th this is good for, for some economy. Uh, as far as the consumer is concerned, any benefit or pretty much just seamless? They don't even know what's going on. 
Well, it's both. It's seamless. And the benefit is I think you're going to find a lot of people who aren't going to work at companies today, which is why it's hard to find employees, are going to be starting their own low-cost businesses in ghost kitchens. It's an opportunity for you know people who've always dreamed of getting into the restaurant industry to get in in a very new and currently unique way. Do we need uh, a lot of space in order to have one of these ghost kitchens? Are we talking tens of thousands of square feet? Or are they the sort of thing that can be put up in a, you know, a neighborhood so that if you're making food there, they can be delivered fairly quickly? Yeah, there's already ghost kitchens in Chicago. I've had the opportunity to go to some of them, which are only, you know, 1,500 square feet. Uh, some might be 2,000 to 3,000, depending on their production. And actually, larger ghost kitchens allow two, three, and four different restaurant companies to rent those kitchens and use them as ghost kitchens, and they're not building the infrastructure at all. They're strictly paying rent for the kitchen. Thanks so much. Really interesting to see how uh, COVID has stepped this up. That's Izzy Karish, known as the restaurant coach, president of Hospitality Works. Making sense of your dollars. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. After years of underperforming in the stock market, General Electric says it will split into three companies focusing on aviation, healthcare, and energy. The stock rising about 3.5% today. Chuck Carlson is here, CEO of Horizon Investment Services, publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond. Uh, Chuck, what do you think? Good idea, bad idea on the part of General Electric? Yeah, I think it's a good idea. You know, GE spent the better part of the last three years really uh, selling off assets to knock down its debt. And by the end of this year, it will knock down about $75 billion in debt. So it's kind of firmed up its financial situation to be able to do something like this. And and I'm a, a typically a fan of, of spinoffs in that it, it allows the spun-off companies to really kind of, uh, you know, sink or swim, so to speak, and it allows Wall Street to really focus more in on those individual businesses. Uh, in the case of GE, I think that is going to be helpful for them to get better visibility into each of those three units. Um, keep in mind, this is going to take a while. The first spinoff, the healthcare spinoff, isn't until early 2023, and then the next spinoff will be of the uh, the GE Energy, which is scheduled for early 2024. So, this won't happen overnight, but I think it's a good thing. And uh, investors out there, if, if you're an investor who likes to play the jockey as opposed to the horse, it's worth noting that Larry Culp, the fellow who came in and has really been instrumental in, in doing all of this at GE, came in in October of 2018. He will go with the aviation part of the business um, once the, all the spinoffs are done. So if you like what he has done so far, He's going to stay with the aviation, which may give that a little bit of a lead in terms of people's preferences. Now, people may be wondering, okay, which of these is poised to really win and, and which one may not? Do, do all three of these seem like they could end up being successful? Yeah, I, th I think so. You know, the, the one that probably has the, the most consistent growth profile is, is going to be the healthcare. Uh, unit. The one that probably has the biggest rebound potential uh, is going to be the, the aviation unit coming off kind of that real weakness in the aerospace area that is that is improving right now. And then finally, the one that has probably the most speculative interest, so to speak, would be GE Energy or Power. But I do believe that also has the ability um, to do to do better uh, over the next few years than it's than it's doing now. So I think all three have their of various appeals, and I think that's one of the reasons why they're spinning them off is so each of those companies, you know, as independent entities can kind of maximize that appeal. 
Thanks so much. Good insight from Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services, publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Stocks are trading lower. The Dow down 172. NASDAQ down 107. And the S&P down 22 points. Let's see what's going on, especially as crypto remains near record highs. Jeff Kilberg is here, Chief Investment Officer at Sanctuary Wealth here in Chicago. Jeff, let's begin with the stocks. What do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today? Well, Cisco, it is a bit of a mixed bag. We are seeing NASDAQ 100 names down a little heavier than most, but let's remember where we're coming from. We've seen historic new, to new time highs. We closed the market last week on another new all-time high, and that was in the wake of the Federal Reserve talking about their tapering program. What does tapering mean, Cisco? It means that they're reducing their amount of asset purchase every month. So I think the market really embraced that well. We are closing out earnings season, but yes, it's okay for the market to take a little bit of breather here in the bigger picture. We've had quite a fantastic run, up about 10% since that volatility we endured in the month of September. And let's talk about crypto near all-time highs. Uh, are, are you at all seeing a pattern where money, when it moves out of the stocks, is going into crypto? Is it maybe not that clear? Well, I think when you have uncertainty, you certainly you know run to safe havens, and all of a sudden, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency become a bit of a non-correlated safe haven trade. And if we look at Bitcoin uh, at sixty-six thousand, nearly sixty-seven thousand, at record all-time highs, the real catalyst there is when the SEC approved the Bitcoin ETF ProShares launch BITO. That's the ticker symbol, and this is a an ETF that's predicated based upon the futures contract. And that was the big hangup with the SEC that they wouldn't allow an ETF to track the spot price of Bitcoin because of the lack of regulation. Well, the CME Group, as you know, launched the futures contract on Bitcoin back in 2017. So this ETF, BITO, the ProShares ETF, is based upon the futures contract. So we saw about a billion dollars go into that ETF in week one, and that's really solidified some of the institutional access. And that's what we've talked about with you for quite some time. That's the next wave of buyers. It's coming in from the institutional and that's why you're seeing such a surge into cryptocurrencies across the board. Yeah, because they really have become a safe haven, which is pretty amazing. You'll get some people who put money into crypto before they'll put money into something like gold whenever they're a little concerned. And that's right. And the dislocation from you know gold, trading about 1800 right now. But remember that it's not always the true safe haven play. We go back to March of 2020, Cisco, we saw the price of Bitcoin flush down to 3500 as correlation went to one and people sold everything when the pandemic hit. But yes, to your point, we have seen just a resurgence. A lot more investors, not just retail, it's also institutional. They've adopted and trying to implement some form of cryptocurrency exposure and that's why you're seeing look at ether you know ethereum almost at 4700 right now that's a big deal to see some of these other cryptocurrency names not just bitcoin and then uh, we could be here all day talking about dogecoin and some of the other altcoins certainly uh we've seen a surge in that but it's a really interesting moment in time as we see stocks at all-time highs we're also seeing cryptocurrency at all-time highs they're not supposed to be that correlated cisco yeah really interesting uh, so uh, your advice to investors given the fact that there is this uncertainty uh, uh, especially regarding inflation, what should people be thinking about? 
I think you have to go back and revert to some boring, tangible blue chip names. Look at GE, for example. They came out with breaking news today that they're actually going to break up into three different companies focused on aviation, healthcare, and energy. Well, you're seeing up about four or five percent in a name like GE today. So I think you go back to some of the blue chip names, some of the representations of the true U.S. economy. I think those names have the ability to grow and have pricing power as we see inflation, which is certainly not on the rise. And inflation is tangible here in Chicago. So I think you have to own some of those blue chip names moving forward. Yeah, that inflation, we, we bring this up quite often just to make sure people understand that with inflation, you, you have to pay attention to your investments in a different way because that inflation is eating into your account. J just the money sitting right. there, you're losing value because of inflation. Cisco, from your lips to, to, to every investor's ears, it's so important. The biggest risk in the market of 2021 coming out of the pandemic, the biggest risk has been not invested. So if you're sitting in cash and you have inflation coming at you, it's a one-two punch. So you're absolutely right. But the Federal Reserve and, and our government doesn't measure inflation with food and energy. I certainly like to eat a lot of food and I like to drive my car. So it's kind of hard to really get a grasp on that. But the Federal Reserve is at least admitting that this inflation component that we're experiencing here in Chicago is going to trickle into 2022, but they're staying steadfast on the fact that it will be transitory. We will see inflation abate probably Q2, Q3 of next year. Thanks so much for all of the insight. That's Jeff Kilberg, Chief Investment Officer at Sanctuary Wealth here in Chicago. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The best daily deal in Chicago. The WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Travel Tuesday on the Noon Business Hour. Today we're looking at what you can expect this holiday season. Travel set to rebound to near pre-pandemic levels. Joining us with need-to-know advice, Cindy Richards, editor-in-chief of TravelingMom.com, an online family travel magazine. Uh, Cindy, can we expect, I mean, I'm thinking especially on the airports, can we expect things to be jammed like they ordinarily would around the holidays? Oh, you bet you can. It's going to be even worse because, as you said, they're predicting it to be pre-pandemic travel levels, but we're not back to pre-pandemic labor levels. So the TSA is having trouble getting enough people, the airports, the airlines, everywhere you go is trying to do more with fewer people. So your lines are going to be longer, and it's very much the same advice I've been giving all throughout this pandemic pack your patience you're going to need it well and is the same thing when it comes to the labor issues is that also uh, affecting hotels or maybe even some of those shops if you're driving al along the way is it pretty much affecting everything absolutely everything takes longer when you get into a hotel i was i was just in las vegas and the hotel i was in didn't offer daily housekeeping you had to ask for it 
if you wanted it. Um, they didn't say they charged more, but I didn't take it. I'm happy to make my own bed in the morning. Um, so don't expect daily housekeeping service. Don't expect super great service at the restaurants, especially if you're going in high traffic times. Um, it's it's no different when you're on the road than when you're home in Chicago and you're going to a restaurant. Expect it to take longer. Expect it to cost more. You may have a hard time getting a rental car because they're still not as available as they were, and they definitely cost more. Yeah, interesting that you mentioned the thing about hotels and, and not getting the, the the room service, you know, the cleaning as often. I just traveled this past weekend. I experienced that when I checked in. They told me, now, we're not going to come into your room you know, during your stay. And what's interesting about it is, for the most part, is that a good thing for the people who are staying in those rooms? You don't necessarily want anyone in your room for the two or three days that you're there. Well, that's very interesting because when I, the few times that I traveled and stayed in hotels during the height of the pandemic, I asked for no uh, housekeeping services because I didn't want a stranger coming into the room while, once I had already, uh, you know, cleaned everything to my liking. But I think now the reason they're not doing it, it is partly um, COVID and it does not only protect the people staying in the hotel, but also protects the, um, the people doing the housekeeping. But they just don't have the people to do the housekeeping. Turning over the rooms um, when people leave is a, is a challenge. Um, I was in a I was in Milwaukee at a conference, and we were supposed to be able to check in at three o'clock. But they'd had another conference checkout that day. Some of the people didn't get into their rooms until after five because they didn't have enough people to turn over the rooms. If people are driving, gas prices. I mean, they're they're pretty high. They have to take that into consideration. You know, but most people, especially families, they drive for the holidays, right? Because a lot of what we're doing is going to see um, see family that we haven't been able to spend enough time with. So the, the advice is, is always there, right? If you're going to drive, try not to leave on Wednesday afternoon because everybody else is leaving on Wednesday afternoon. And you don't want that expensive gas to just be sitting there while you're on the highway going nowhere. So leave early or leave really late. And, you know, my favorite tip for traveling at the holidays, it's not one that works for everybody, but travel on the holiday. Thanksgiving morning, Christmas morning, the 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 highways are going to be empty and the airports are pretty empty and the planes you'll have room to spread out on a plane you may not have to sit shoulder to shoulder to a to a stranger thanks so much for all the good advice that's cindy richards editor-in-chief of travelingmom.com loaning useful information each weekday the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The stock market has churned out spectacular gains and investor optimism is high. Now that almost everyone appears to be bullish. Could there be a red flag for stocks? Mark Holbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com. Uh, Mark, help us to understand this because it, it seems as though people being bullish, more money going into the market would, would be something that could just continue. And yet history has proven it doesn't just continue. Well, that's right. I, you know, I'm your, I'm your resident contrarian. I'm I'm the one who uh, throws a wet towel on uh, things when things are looking awfully good. And as you point out there in the intro, things are looking awfully good out there. But one of the ways I think it's helpful to understand it is if all the money on the sidelines has gone into the market, there's no more money on the sidelines left to propel the market even higher. And that's uh, one of the major engines of rallies is for sideline cash that's invested in cash or in short-term bond funds and so forth. If it's available to go into stock, then when it does, it propels it higher. So I think there's a rational basis also for what otherwise looks to be a counterintuitive 
result in the market, which is that the market goes down when there's too much bullishness. And it definitely is the case that that's what we see. And in order for the markets to go higher, do you need, uh, you know, at least a few stocks that aren't doing so well? Again, that sounds counterintuitive. Well, it really depends on where it, the, it, the, the research, as I understand it, suggests that it's cash outside the market that then comes into the market that's going to propel it higher. If if all that what happens when you buy one stock is that the, the, the money that is used to buy that stock comes from the sale of another stock, then that's sort of robbing Peter to pay Paul. It will, of course, have, vol you know, have lots of volatile reactions in individual stocks, but uh, not necessarily propel the overall market higher. So it's really that sideline cash, I call it, that uh, really is going to help it go f further. And I think right now, we're probably not seeing much left. Uh, all the money that's out there that's to go into stocks has probably already gone in there. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, let's talk about Bitcoin. Uh, you know, it's, it's obviously crypto is all the rage, and yet there's still people trying to figure out how should you invest in it if you're going to. Well, that's right. I took a look at that because a lot of people are trying to use some of the same trading techniques that they do in the stock market and try to apply it to Bitcoin. And I'm sure there are a million strategies out there, and I, of course, can't study all of them. But I took a number of the most popular ones and subjected uh, Bitcoin's price history to those trading strategies and came up empty in almost every case. So I think it just it breaks all the rules. We already know that it's broken a lot of rules already, and I'd say some additional rules. If you're going to get into Bitcoin, I probably wouldn't try to trade it. What we found, for example, is that a lot of the people who have been trying to trade in and out of Bitcoin have bought after the market has rallied, and then Bitcoin almost invariably goes back down again. It's a contrarian story there as well. Then they sell, and uh, the market goes back up again. So it's almost as though it's a, it's a buy, high, sell, low proposition for many of these Bitcoin traders, which is probably why they end up losing a lot of money. Yeah, it's, that's not how you make money, for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Always good insight from Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.